Chapter Two, Part Two of the History of the Standard Oil Company by Ida M. Tarbell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Two, Part Two: The Rise of the Standard Oil Company. The organization complete, there remained contracts to be made with the railroads. Three systems were to be interested. The Central, which by its connection with the Lake Shore and Michigan Southern, ran directly into the oil regions. The Erie, allied with the Atlantic and Great Western, with a short line likewise tapping the heart of the region, and the Pennsylvania, with the connections known as the Allegheny Valley and Oil Creek Railroad. The persons to be won over were W. H. Vanderbilt of the Central, H. F. Clark, President of the Lake Shore and Michigan Southern, J. Gould of the Erie, General G. B. McClellan, President of the Atlantic and Great Western, and Tom Scott of the Pennsylvania. There seems to have been little difficulty in persuading any of these persons to go into the scheme after they had been assured by the leaders that all of the refiners were to be taken in. This was a verbal condition, however, not found in the contracts they signed. This important fact Mr. Warden himself made clear when, three months later, he was on the witness stand before a committee of Congress appointed to look into the great scheme. We had considerable discussion with the railroads, Mr. Warden said, in regard to the matter of rebate on their charges for freight. They did not want to give us a rebate unless it was with the understanding that all the refineries should be brought into the arrangement and placed upon the same level. Question. You say you made propositions to railroad companies which they agreed to accept upon the condition that you could include all the refineries? Answer. No, sir, I did not say that. I said that was the understanding when we discussed this matter with them. It was no proposition on our part. They discussed it not in the form of a proposition that the refineries should all be taken in, but it was the intention and resolution of the company from the first that that should be the result. We never had any other purpose in the matter. Question. In case you could take the refineries all in, the railroads proposed to give you a rebate upon their freight charges? Answer. No, sir, it was not put in that form. We were to put the refineries all in upon the same terms. It was the understanding with the railroad companies that we were to have a rebate. There was no rebate given in consideration of our putting the companies all in but we told them we would do it. The contract with the railroad companies was with us. Question. But if you did form a company composed of the proprietors of all these refineries, you were to have a rebate upon your freight charges? Answer. No, we were to have a rebate anyhow, but were to give all the refineries the privilege of coming in. Question. You were to have the rebate whether they came in or not? Answer. Yes, sir. What effect were these arrangements to have upon those who did not come into the combination? asked the chairman. I don't think we ever took that question up, answered Mr. Warden. A second objection to making a contract with the company came from Mr. Scott of the Pennsylvania Road and Mr. Potts of the Empire Transportation Company. The substance of this objection was that the plan took no account of the oil producer, the man to whom the world owed the business. Mr. Scott was strong in his assertion that they could never succeed unless they took care of the producers. Mr. Warden objected strongly to forming a combination with them. 
the interests of the producers were in one sense antagonistic to ours one is the seller and the other is the buyer we held in the argument that the producers were abundantly able to take care of their own branch of the business if they took care of the quantity produced so strongly did mr scott argue however that finally the members of the south improvement company yielded and a draft of an agreement to be proposed to the producers was drawn up in lead pencil it was never presented it seems to have been used principally to quiet mr scott the work of persuasion went on swiftly by the eighteenth of january the president of the pennsylvania road j edgar thompson had put his signature to the contract and soon after mr vanderbilt and mr clark signed for the central system and j gould and general mcclellan for the erie the contracts to which these gentlemen put their names fixed gross rates of freight from all common points as the leading shipping points within the regions were called to all the great refining and shipping centers new york philadelphia baltimore pittsburgh and cleveland for example the open rate on crude to new york was put at two dollars and fifty six cents on this price the south improvement company was allowed a rebate of a dollar six cents for its shipments but it got not only this rebate it was given in cash a like amount on each barrel of crude shipped by parties outside the combination the open rate from cleveland to new york was two dollars and fifty cents of this was turned over to the south improvement company which at the same time received a rebate enabling it to ship for one dollar and fifty cents again an independent refiner in cleveland paid eighty cents a barrel to get his crude from the oil regions to his works and the railroad sent forty cents of this money to the south improvement company at the same time it cost the cleveland refiner in the combination but forty cents to get his crude oil like drawbacks and rebates were given for all points pittsburgh philadelphia boston and baltimore an interesting provision in the contracts was that full waybills of all petroleum shipped over the roads should each day be sent to the south improvement company this of course gave them knowledge of just who was doing business outside of their company of how much business he was doing and with whom he was doing it not only were they to have full knowledge of the business of all shippers they were to have access to all books of the railroads the parties to the contracts agreed that if anybody appeared in the business offering an equal amount of transportation and having equal facilities for doing business with the south improvement company the railroads might give them equal advantages and drawbacks and rebates but to make such a miscarriage of the scheme doubly improbable each railroad was bound to cooperate as far as it legally might to maintain the business of the south improvement company against injury by competition and lower or raise the gross rates of transportation for such times and to such extent as might be necessary to overcome the competition the rebates and drawbacks to be very pari passu with the gross rates the reason given by the railroads in the contract for granting these extraordinary privileges was that the magnitude and extent of the business and operations purposed to be carried on by the south improvement company would greatly promote the interests of the railroads and make it desirable for them to encourage their undertaking the evident advantages received by the railroad were a regular amount of freight the pennsylvania was to have forty five per cent of the eastbound shipments the erie and central each twenty seven and a half per cent while westbound freight was to be divided equally between them 
fixed rates and freedom from the system of cutting which they had all found so harassing and disastrous. That is, the South Improvement Company, which was to include the entire refining capacity of the company, was to act as the evener of the oil business. It was on the 2nd of January, 1872, that the organization of the South Improvement Company was completed. The day before the Standard Oil Company of Cleveland increased its capital from one million to two million five hundred thousand dollars, all the stockholders of the company being present and voting therefore, the stockholders were greater by five than in 1870. The names of O. B. Jennings, Benjamin Brewster, Truman B. Handy, Amasa Stone, and Stillman Witt having been added. The last three were officers and stockholders in one or more of the railroads centering in Cleveland. Three weeks after this increase of capital, Mr. Rockefeller had the charter and contracts of the South Improvement Company in hand, and was ready to see what they would do in helping him carry out his idea of wholesale combination in Cleveland. There were at that time some twenty-six refineries in the town, some of them very large plants. All of them were feeling more or less the discouraging effects of the last three or four years of railroad discrimination in favor of the Standard Oil Company. To the owners of these refineries Mr. Rockefeller now went one by one and explained the South Improvement Company. "'You see,' he told them, "'this scheme is bound to work. It means an absolute control by us of the oil business. There is no chance for anyone outside.' but we are going to give everybody a chance to come in. You are to turn over your refinery to my appraisers, and I will give you Standard Oil Company stock or cash, as you prefer, for the value we put upon it. I advise you to take the stock. It will be for your good. Certain refiners objected. They did not want to sell. They did want to keep and manage their business. Mr. Rockefeller was regretful but firm. It was useless to resist, he told the hesitating. They would certainly be crushed if they did not accept his offer. And he pointed out in detail, and with gentleness, how beneficent this scheme really was, preventing the creek refiners from destroying Cleveland, ending competition, keeping up the price of refined oil, and eliminating speculation. Really a wonderful contrivance for the good of the oil business." That such was Mr. Rockefeller's argument is proved by abundant testimony from different individuals who succumbed to the pressure. Mr. Rockefeller's own brother, Frank Rockefeller, gave most definite evidence on this point in 1876, when he and others were trying to interest Congress in a law regulating interstate commerce. We had in Cleveland at one time about thirty establishments, but the South Improvement Company was formed and the Cleveland companies were told that if they didn't sell their property to them it would be valueless, that there was a combination of railroad and oil men, that they would buy all they could, and that all they didn't buy would be totally valueless, because they would be unable to compete with the South Improvement Company, and the result was that out of the thirty there were only four or five that didn't sell. "'From whom was that information received?' asked the examiner from the officers of the Standard Oil Company. They made no bones about it at all. They said, if you don't sell your property to us, it will be valueless, because we have got advantages with the railroads. Have you heard these gentlemen say what you have stated? Frank Rockefeller was asked. I have heard Rockefeller and Flagler say so, he answered. 
w h doane whose evidence on the first rebates granted to the cleveland trade we have already quoted told the congressional committee which a few months after mr rockefeller's great coup tried to find out what had happened in cleveland the refineries are all bought up by the standard oil works they were forced to sell the railroads had put up the rates and it scared them men came to me and told me they could not continue their business they became frightened and disposed of their property mr doane's own business that of a crude oil shipper was entirely ruined all of his customers but one having sold to this same committee mr alexander of alexander scofield and company gave his reason for selling there was a pressure brought to bear upon my mind and upon almost all citizens of cleveland engaged in the oil business to the effect that unless we went into the south improvement company we were virtually killed as refiners that if we did not sell out we should be crushed out my partner mr hewart had some negotiations with parties connected with the south improvement company and they gave us to understand at least my partner so represented to me that we should be crushed out if we did not go into that arrangement he wanted me to see the parties myself but i said to him that i would not have any dealings with certain parties who were in that company for any purpose and i never did we sold at a sacrifice and we were obliged to there was only one buyer in the market and we had to sell on their terms or be crushed out as it was represented to us it was stated that they had a contract with railroads by which they could run us into the ground if they pleased after learning what the arrangements were i felt as if rather than fight such a monopoly i would withdraw from the business even at a sacrifice i think we received about forty or forty-five cents on the dollar on the valuation which we placed upon our refinery we spent over fifty thousand dollars on our works during the past year which was nearly all that we received we paid out sixty or seventy thousand dollars before that we considered our works at their cash value worth seventy-five per cent of their cost according to our valuation our establishment was worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and we sold it for about sixty-five thousand dollars which was about forty or forty-five per cent of its value we sold to one of the members as i suppose of the southern improvement company mr rockefeller he is a director in that company it was sold in name to the standard oil company of cleveland but the arrangements were as i understand it that they were put into the south improvement company i am stating what my partner told me he did all the business his statement was that all these works were to be merged into the south improvement company i never talked with any members of the south improvement company myself on the subject i have declined to have anything to do with them mr hewitt the partner who mr alexander says carried on the negotiations for the sale of the business appeared before an investigating committee of the new york state senate in eighteen seventy nine and gave his recollections of what happened according to his story the entire oil trade in cleveland became paralyzed when it became known that the southern improvement company had grappled the entire transportation of oil from the west to the seaboard mr hewitt went to see the freight agents of the various roads he called on w h vanderbilt but from no one did he get any encouragement then he saw peter h watson of the lake shore railroad the president of the company who was frightening the trade watson was noncommittal said mr hewitt i got no satisfaction except you'd better sell you'd better get clear better sell out no help for it 
after a little time Mr. Hewitt concluded with his partners that there was indeed no help for it, and he went to see Mr. Rockefeller, who offered him fifty cents on the dollar on the constructive account. The offer was accepted. There was nothing else to do, the firm seems to have concluded. When they came to transfer the property, Mr. Rockefeller urged Mr. Hewitt to take stock in the new concern. He told me, said Mr. Hewitt, that it would be sufficient to take care of my family for all time what I represented there, and asking for a reason, he made this expression I remember. I have ways of making money that you know nothing of. A few of the refiners contested before surrendering. Among these was Robert Hanna, an uncle of Mark Hanna, of the firm of Hanna, Baslington and Company. Mr. Hanna had been refining since July 1869. According to his own sworn statement he had made money fully sixty percent on his investment the first year, and after that thirty percent. Sometime in February 1872 the Standard Oil Company asked an interview with him and his associates. They wanted to buy his works, they said. But we don't want to sell, objected Mr. Hanna. You can never make any more money in my judgment, said Mr. Rockefeller. You can't compete with the Standard. We have all the large refineries now. If you refuse to sell, it will end in your being crushed. Hanna and Baslington were not satisfied. They went to see Mr. Watson, president of the South Improvement Company, and an officer of the Lake Shore, and General Deverell, manager of the Lake Shore Road. They were told that the Standard had special rates, that it was useless to try to compete with them. General Devereux explained to the gentlemen that the privileges granted the Standard were the legitimate and necessary advantage of the larger shipper over the smaller, and that if Hannah Baslington and Company could give the road as large a quantity of oil as the Standard did, with the same regularity, they could have the same rate. General Devereux says they recognized the propriety of his excuse. They certainly recognized its authority. They say that they were satisfied they could no longer get rates to and from Cleveland which would enable them to live, and reluctantly sold out. It must have been reluctantly, for they had paid $75,000 for their works, and had made 30% a year on an average on their investment, and the standard appraiser allowed them $45,000. Truly and really less than one-half of what they were absolutely worth with a fair and honest competition in the lines of transportation, said Mr. Hanna eight years later, in an affidavit. Under the combined threat and persuasion of the Standard, armed with the South Improvement Company's scheme, almost the entire independent oil interest of Cleveland collapsed in three months' time. Of the twenty-six refineries, at least twenty-one sold out. From a capacity of probably not over fifteen hundred barrels of crude a day, the standard rose in three months' time to one of ten thousand barrels. By this maneuver it became master of over one-fifth of the refining capacity of the United States. Its next individual competitor was Sohn and Fleming of New York, whose capacity was seventeen hundred barrels. The standard had a greater capacity than the entire Oil Creek regions, greater than the combined New York refiners. The transaction by which it acquired this power was so stealthy that not even the best-informed newspaper men of Cleveland knew what went on. It had all been accomplished in accordance with one of Mr. Rockefeller's chief business principles. Silence is golden. While Mr. Rockefeller was working out the 
good of the oil business in Cleveland, his associates were busy at other points. Charles Lockhart in Pittsburgh and W. G. Warden in Philadelphia were particularly active, though neither of them accomplished any such sweeping benefaction as Mr. Rockefeller had. It was now evident what the stockholders of the South Improvement Company meant when they assured the railroads that all the refiners were to go into the scheme, that, as Mr. Warden said, they never had any other purpose in the matter. A little more time and the great scheme would be an accomplished fact, and then there fell in its path two of those never-to-be-foreseen human elements which so often block great maneuvers. The first was born of a man's anger. The man had learned of the scheme. He had wanted to go into it, but the directors were suspicious of him. He had been concerned in speculative enterprises and in dealings with the Erie Road, which had injured these directors in other ways. They didn't want him to have any of the advantages of their great enterprise. When convinced that he could not share in the deal, he took his revenge by telling people in the oil regions what was going on. At first the oil regions refused to believe, but in a few days another slip born of human weakness came in to prove the rumor true. The schedule of rates agreed upon by the South Improvement Company and the railroads had been sent to the freight agent of the Lakeshore Railroad, but no order had been given to put them in force. The freight agent had a son on his deathbed. Distracted by his sorrow, he left his office in charge of subordinates, but neglected to tell them that the new schedules on his desk were a secret compact whose effectiveness depended upon their being held until all was complete. On February 26th, the subordinates, ignorant of the nature of the rates, put them into effect. The independent oil men heard with amazement that freight rates had been put up nearly 100%. They needed no other proof of the truth of the rumors of conspiracy which were circulating. It now remained to be seen whether the oil regions would submit to the South Improvement Company as Cleveland had to the Standard Oil Company. End of chapter 2, recording by Tom Weiss. Tom's audiobooks dot com